Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome into the Mining Stock Daily long form episode for your week. Thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. Uh, it feels like perhaps, well, maybe we'll get out of the summer doldrums here sooner rather than later, but gold certainly had a windfall move, unfortunately, uh, taking a lot of the juniors and miners down with it. But next week is a new week. We'll see how things persist. The inflation trade debatably is still within our sight. So we have gotten data back from CPI and PPI showing, uh, you know, hotter than expected inflation continues throughout the summer. We got two conversations. First, we touch base with one of our favorites, Tony Greer, TG, to get some macro analysis, talk about that inflation trade and why he is stepping off to the side from the gold trade. And then we have a corporate update from Vista Gold and CEO Fred Ernest talking about the latest news from their Mount Todd project. Uh, a lot to talk about with Vista Gold and really kind of how things transpired throughout their summer. So good conversation with Fred as well. Special thank you to Western Copper and Gold, Corvus Gold, Rio2, and Integra Resources for your continued support of the Mining Stock Daily Podcast, along with the other companies that help to support the the podcast via sponsorship. You can find a list at miningstockdaily.com. You can also follow up with email questions to me, Trevor at clearcreekdigital.com. Whenever you'd like, I'll try to respond to those as quickly as possible. Thanks, everybody. Let's touch into my conversation with Tony. Have a great weekend. Be well. Hey everybody, welcome in to Mining Stock Daily. This is going to be our Friday morning long-form interview. We are recording this Wednesday morning, so whatever happens between now and Friday morning, uh, we, 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 can't, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But happy to welcome in one of our favorite inflationistas, Mr. Tony Greer. TG, welcome back. Trevor, what's up, man? It's great to be here. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh this is going to be probably one of your last interviews before you hit the road to Atlantic City for a fish show. So how many fish references can we throw in this conversation before you run like an antelope out of control? Uh, <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Did you see a fish show? I plan on going for a set of three, my friend. Oh, you've got, you're so young at heart. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, lots to talk about. CPI print came out this Wednesday morning. Uh, hit the tape as is expected. Obviously, inflation is still happening above five percent uh not much of a major move in the markets from these i mean there was an initial move but tech coming down here the s p uh basically flat dow jones up half a percent gold getting a nice little rebound here from those bottoms from monday morning uh let's talk about the inflation data here what did you take from this and and it seems like you're positioned pretty well for it yeah, you know, you could always be positioned better, Trevor. That's that's one of the things I've been shaken out of a couple of trades that I liked, um, you know, for pure risk management purposes and their their methods that I'd follow again. Um, but in terms of going, I, I'm positioned okay. I mean, I've still got the oil trade on, and I'm I'm wading into a few other trades. Um, the financials I just got into, and they've been treating me well so far. Knock wood. Um, so I think there are a couple of things going on. 
Um, I think that most importantly for me in terms of the inflation conversation, it is that the market-based inflation indicators um, are giving a little bit of a mixed signal, right? We had yields bottom down at 1.12% while we're seeing the price of all basically physical commodities and finished goods rise very dramatically before our eyes. So what do we want to believe? Do we want to believe what we see in our grocery bill or do we want to believe what, you know, the tape is telling us? And I think the tape is a little bit of a mixed bag. But the first thing that I, that the most important thing to me is that it looks like 10 year yields have turned off of their lows and are now going to start rising, respecting that the inflation trade is going on. They took a shot across the bow when Jerome Powell went on his little tirade um, about tightening that spiked the dollar and knocked gold off of uh, off a cliff. But, you know, I think part of, of um, the yields turning now is the fact that he got his transitory excuse out of the way. He made it look like inflation is transitory by the having the dollar rally and go, having gold collapse. You know, he's got some argument where he can say, see, the market thinks it's transitory. And for me, when I see five year break evens, you know, kind of still consolidating, but the curves curling over, you know, those are mixed signals to me as to how the market is interpreting inflation. So we're clearly running a little bit hot. It's clearly going to continue that way. And, you know, if the Fed doesn't start doing any concrete, you know, tightening action, I think the bond market will start doing it for them. And then we'll see how it plays out from there. You know, you got every everything is the next set of data. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, earlier this week, we chatted with Jared Dillian. I know you follow his stuff. And I asked him uh, with the idea that the Fed will raise rates or taper or both. Do you feel like they would willing to do that and sacrifice the moves in the stock market and continue to be while still continuing to be focused on employment? Well, yeah, you know, that that that's definitely uh, a tough balance. But I think what you're seeing now is that the, the S&P is adjusting to the idea of tapering and the idea of higher rates. Right. We've been in periods before, like around 2013, 2012, 13 area where we were discussing tapering and taking accommodation away and rates going higher. Yet the S&P was able to contend with that. And the S&P was able to contend with that because the economic data continued to get stronger, right? So, you know, you can deal with higher yields when, you know, the GDP is a little bit better and employment situation gets a little bit better. So I don't think that the S&P is necessarily going to get knocked off kilter with, say, 10-year yields in a range between 1% and 2%, right? I think if the bond vigilantes take over on the inflation trade, you know, and, and start moving yields in a much higher direction from there, then I think the S&P has a problem with that. Other than that, I think it just changes the rotation, right? Like we had um, for the lockdown rotation, for example, the rally coming off the March 2020 lows, that was a lockdown rotation where tech took off, right? Mm -hmm. The S&P, uh, excuse me, industrial sectors and energy sectors got pasted, but the net result was the S&P was higher. Right now we're in a rotation which is more of an inflationary cyclical reopening rotation, if I may, you know, that that has now industrials rallying again, energy rallying again, home builders rallying again. And, you know, to me, that's the, that's how the sort of uh, leadership in the S&P baton gets passed. 
you know, tech may struggle now. I've seen a couple sectors come off big in the last couple of days. Social media looks like it's in trouble. Um, so tech is going to struggle as rates kind of ratchet higher. But the rates are ratcheting higher in response to, you know, the commodities, I think, that really aren't backing off. Right. And that leads us to sort of that next conversation, you know, about energy prices and gas prices and the news that came out today, you know, from the White House, if you want to tee that up. Yeah, I would, uh, would love to because uh, it's very ironic how, you know, for the last year, year and a half, all we've heard about this push into new green energy infrastructure, electric vehicles. Uh, in the last 24 hours, the news on the headline is President Biden is requesting OPEC open up the oil coffers because it's just getting a little too expensive. Uh, with that said, I'm not hearing any conversation about opening up America's production coffers, which is very fascinating. Oh, this I mean, there's so much to unpack here, you know, right. for for a guy that takes office and shuts down a pipeline that immediately spikes the price of gasoline 50%, who is now pushing a green agenda that, you know, as we know, is going to, you know, make fuel and fossil fuel investments smaller. It's going to make crude oil harder to obtain. It probably, you know, increases the prices of gasoline. And now he's coming out and saying that he wants Saudi Arabia to pump more. You know, it's like, what about American producers, right? Like you shut people off with the pipeline closure and they're still coming down on fossil fuel makers and job creators here, you know, in the United States, but they want Saudi Arabia to cash in on the price of oil at $75 and pump more so that we can get lower gas prices here at the pump. You want lower prices again at the pump, turn the pipeline back on. You know what I mean? It's just so clear that everything is just one pure political move after the next one with no consideration for a logic path or the ramifications on actual prices, right? It's like, you know, oops, we made the mistake with our policy. Um, okay, now we're gonna go around America with another policy. And, you know, we're gonna have the Saudis, uh, you know, pump more and try to get gas prices back down. So it, it's just, a, a, it's another symbol that, that this administration is not the administration we should be looking toward for energy guidance, if you ask me. Yeah, the uh, it definitely seems that they have come f more f well farther left from center as they campaigned a year ago, uh, which shouldn't be it's it's not a surprise to me and probably shouldn't be a surprise to anybody listening to this podcast. But similarly, TG, it's same things happening on the metals front as the administration is pushing for more uh, raw material supply to come in to feed that new energy infrastructure. A lot of that material could be mined and produced right here, although some of the best deposits, copper uh, base metal deposits, have been put back on the shelf for another six months for environmental reviews. Uh, so it's not just the oil and gas sector. It's also the mining sector as well. Speaking of metals, i got to get your thoughts here. Uh, I've listened to a couple interviews with you. You pull you you were kind of wiped clean out of some of these base metal plays, but it seems like you are maybe seeing uh, light at the end of the tunnel here, jumping back in. What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, I I, I learned that um, I got lured into the breakout in gold, and I bought some gold stocks, right? And before gold got destroyed in the last week, I stopped out of my gold stocks saying, you know, it, it, they just weren't working. I lost a little bit of money, but I was like, 
if Jerome Powell is going to come directly after the gold market via the dollar to prove that inflation is under control or transitory by saying, oh, look, gold just went down $200. How much inflation could we be talking about here? Right. So if he's going to come after gold, I am going to get out of the way. So that's what I've done. And I haven't touched gold and I'm not touching it on this dip. It broke too important of a trend line for me to even consider it yet from the long side. And I think that if it breaks 1650, it can go to 1400. And I only think that because this seems to be the lever that central banks think they can pull to sort of help convince the markets and the world that inflation isn't all that on fire, you know, like very contrary to the headlines, which are things like, you know, Tyson Foods raising meat prices 40 percent because of, you know, all kinds of inflationary costs that they're feeling. So, you know, for me, when I look at things like the, the, the metals markets, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that copper hasn't curled over yet. Right. Like we've come to a clear, um, you know, section of the of the cycle of the reopening cycle where we got a little bit too hot and we're probably backing off that full steam ahead um, approach to the economy. And industrial metals and mining, you know, took a nasty dip through the 100-day moving average almost to the 200-day and came right back. And that was really impressive to me, especially now that I've sold them. You know, it was a great trade and I'm looking for another great trade there. I just haven't gotten the sweet spot entry level that I'm looking for. So yeah, I'm impressed that copper hasn't, you know, curled over below 9K and that it's still street fighting. I'm impressed that aluminum has been trending higher and making higher all-time highs very quietly during this cycle. So, you know, everything is becoming, it's very much a trade in and of itself. Now, you know, somehow I feel like the base metals and if you separate, especially if you start by separating precious metals from base metals and saying, look, you know, I'll, I'll admit this, the 25 or 35 year old me would have been saying, damn the central bankers, full speed ahead with my bullish gold view. I probably would have been wearing gold for the way down. I probably would be looking to buy more, adding to a bad position and saying, let's take these guys on because gold is not going to go down with this much money printing, this much debt and this much inflation. And the 50 something year old me says, I don't need to have be long gold when I can find a thousand other securities that are directly responding to the inflation trade. Right. So that's how I'm trying to think. And, and you know, it might be industrial metals and mining, but it's starting to look like even certain sectors of technology, which I haven't latched on to, are, are responding to, uh, you know, the inflation move like the software sector is getting back on its feet. And that's been trending nicely for years. So, you know, I'm kind of just trying to figure out if there are other sectors of market I'm missing out on. And I know I'm getting away from the point and I don't want to do that. Let's stay with the, the you know, the, the metals argument. And that is for me just to get out of the way of gold. OK, so let me so maybe because I am that 35 year old TG, <laughs> maybe not as smart, which is because I'm asking the questions. Uh, have you ever seen gold, if we have higher inflation, inflation's running hot, the speed of inflation's higher, gold is supposed to be the least riskiest inflation hedge, but is being played as the riskiest trade in inflation. Why is that? And have you ever seen this type of thing before? 
No, you know, I have never seen this type of thing where, you know, my grocery bills and my kids tuition bills are through the roof and, you know, the 10 years at one something percent and right that that's a rarity right so seeing this is really really strange um i think it probably speaks to positioning at some level there could have been a fund that was levered to the gills that was long gold because of the very obvious reason that we've got inflation all over the place and they may have had to punt their position right so i mean you, you can get 15 to 1 leverage on the comex you know on an exchange you can build up a pretty big position as a small fund and as it happens, it knocks gold through a major trend line that, you know, for me was one that I was leaning on for a long time. And I'm glad I was flat when it broke. And for like for me now, I look at gold and I say the risk is through 1650 that this thing is toast because see what got back on its feet in the last week for no reason at all. Bitcoin, Ethereum. If you ask me why Ethereum was rally, I couldn't come up with a reason. Right. <laughs> But I look at Bitcoin and I say, holy shit, 45K bid? What? I was expecting to buy Bitcoin, quite honestly, Trevor, when it broke down through 30K to 20K and something like that. That's where I was going to really buy Bitcoin and, and get into the trade. Sure enough, you know, as, as reality would have it, you know, the thing just takes off in the opposite direction. And now it's clearing all kinds of moving averages and has got blue sky trading again. And, you know, I, I just don't want to be stubborn and get caught left behind in Bitcoin. So I've, I've added, you know, I'm, I'm off the zero boundary in Bitcoin, but I added Coinbase to my view matrix at, as a long trade, as a long position. And I'm trading that from the long side now because it feels like Bitcoin is responding really well to the inflation story. And so, I, you know, and I, I can't claim to be able to figure this out or explain it. I'm just observing it. Right. And it's so when I see gold get tanked and Bitcoin surprise me to the upside, I have to sort of smack myself on the side of the head to make sure I'm looking at this story the right way. Right. So I don't want to fight the, the, the inflation hedge that's the old school hedge right now. And I want to look at the one that's the new school hedge right now, you know, and, and that's kind of just the way I'm thinking. And I'm not dissing metals and I'm not saying that they're not going to be a buy at some price. And I'm also not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm also I will say that I'm a scale down buyer of physical gold no matter where it goes. Right. That, that, that's part of the process, too, is turning some of your cash into physical gold. And, and that makes all the sense in the world to me. But for a trade right now with with the central bankers, you know, I feel like having their way with it indirectly through through dollar comments and, and sort of maybe and moves in the rates markets. So I'm just going to get out of the way of that one right now and look at it as my physical insurance policy is getting cheaper if I want to add to it. Sure. You know, and, and that's really it. How much of this conversation between Bitcoin and precious metals, you know, Bitcoin is obviously an emerging asset class. It doesn't have near the history as gold has. Um, but because of gold's history, you know, central bankers and people clear at the top of the, uh, of the food chain kind of know how, what it represents and how to use it to leverage their own position. Is there a case that maybe because Bitcoin's only 13, 14 years old and, and not quite yet figured out by the, you know, the top of the food chain that they just don't know how to represent it in their favor quite yet? 
Could be, Trevor. My ears are open to all theories in Bitcoin, like you say, because, you know, cryptocurrency is a very new phenomenon and it still hasn't gotten, you know, the uptake that I even would have expected myself in terms of people using Bitcoin for purchasing things. But I'm with you in terms of saying, you know, maybe they haven't maybe the Bitcoin trade hasn't really figured out because sometimes it does respond certain ways to inflation and sometimes it doesn't. So I don't know if the world has figured out how Bitcoin is going to react in every situation. But, you know, I, I think it's got a big enough, strong enough following, you know, with, you know, guys like Mike Novogratz as the Pied Piper of that, you know, community. And as much as I you know, I'm not a fan of his. I can listen to him talk about Bitcoin because I know that he has the right angle on Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I you know, it, maybe it's too young to understand kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, it's going to earn its stripes here and it's really earning its stripes right before our eyes while the old school inflation hedges, which has got a community, you know, there's a community of gold bugs within the, you know, set of gold longs, just like there's a community of hodlers within the Bitcoin community, right? They're always on gold bugs on their gold, looking to trade it from the long side. So I don't, those communities to me are starting to line up and balance each other out. And if anything, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a futuristic thinker and not miss where the world is going. You know, we got to live in this world that we're, that we're creating here. And if Bitcoin is going to gain favor, especially as a trading vehicle or inflation hedge, it's my job as, you know, a, an experienced trader and newsletter author to get my clients into this. You know, so I kind of look at it as I have that responsibility too. like I can't miss that if that goes from 40 to 80 K. Right. Right. And so and, and so it's just that's how it fits into my sort of uh, responsibility matrix a little bit, you know, and, and it's something that I do want to trade. So. Yeah, it's young, but it's it's a wild west market, and I think that that's part of the attraction. I think that's part of the attraction. I think that once Paul Tudor Jones and um, Mike Novogratz at Galaxy and other guys start saying, "Oh, here's some inflationary data. Let's put 100 million bucks into Bitcoin and see Bitcoin go up 20 percent," right? How many times are they going to hit that button? Right. When they're looking for different differentiated ways of making returns because they've squeezed every bit of juice out of the equity market that can be squeezed out. And so, you know, I try to think along those lines. Right. And so who's going to be the audience for the inflation hedges and at what times? So, you know, I'm nervous about what just happened to gold and, and I can, as a trader, get out of the way of it and look at my safe and say, OK, well, we'll buy some cheap stuff and add it there. But. Other than that, that's kind of how I'm, I'm having them fall into line. And then the the base metal trade is kind of, uh, to me, is a kind of double barrel animal all of its own, you know, because it's <laughs> going to respond to the monetization. It's going to respond to the green movement. You know, the base metal market is like a very, very tricky beast right now. But to me, the secular trend is way higher. Yeah. So I, let's go back to the base metal stuff. And, this, and on the back of this infrastructure bill, uh, one point two trillion dollars passed the Senate is on the uh, is into the Congress now. See how that goes. Probably going to get a little bit more pushback in Congress than it did the Senate. There's another three and a half trillion dollar bill being negotiated now in the Senate for infrastructure. This is more of the 
quote unquote soft infrastructure. But what I'm seeing is, you know, you mentioned aluminum. I, I, I messaged you the other day about look at the steel chart. U.S. Steel keeps rising. Uh, our favorite cult following tin continues to make all time highs. Um, you know, so all these and, and gold, er, not excuse me, copper uh, hasn't really fallen off at all. Is it? Is this one of those kind of? If if you haven't sold the news yet, is this the time to be selling the news, or do you think this has got really got legs? Well, yeah, for base know, metals. I'm starting to think the latter, Trevor. Like you know, I'm having, I'm, I'm feeling some FOMO in you know when I wake up in the morning. You know, excuse me. Rather, when I look at the closes, more importantly, I have FOMO when I see you know XME up four percent at the top of the leaderboard outpacing energy stocks and i'm sitting here thinking that they should probably back off and i can buy them cheaper so they're proving me wrong and it's being very very difficult you know to to, to stick a to stick a fork and you know to stick a flag in the ground either way a fork in the ground that's funny i'm hungry <laughs> um the copper chart you know this thing the 150 day moving average the 50 day looks like it's curling down through the 100 day and the price is just stuck to the intersection of where those two moving averages are. You know what I mean? To me, it's like that Spider-Man meme where, you know, three Spider-Mans are looking at each other. You're like, it's like, which way is this thing going to go? I have no idea. You know, is it going to stay this price for the next six months now? All of a sudden, 9,500 copper or is it about to go $5,000 higher? I, you know, I, I kind of assign a third, a third and a third probability. You know what I mean? So I have, feel like I have no edge right now in copper. Copper to me is like I, we had it we had it on the run in the whole uptrend. And now all of a sudden I see reasons it should go up and it goes down. I see reasons it should go down and it rallies. And meanwhile, I look back two weeks later and it's the same price. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, uh, it's, it's consolidating and it can consolidate for a really long time here at the moving averages without – yeah, I'm just trying to not get fish hooked by a little move higher or a little move lower since I have no certainty as to which direction it's taking on in terms of putting a trade on. Sure. Right? In terms of saying, you know, I think the next 30, the next 20 percent is here and I can risk 5 percent on the downside, right, for that lineup. How are you balancing? I mean, you're an incredible technical trader and you follow the charts like a hawk. How do you balance the technicalities of trade as opposed to the fundamentals? Because right now, long term, they're two different, very different approaches. Yeah, I, I try to stick to what I know um, in, in situations when it gets confusing. Like, you know, there was a good set. There was a good length of time, several the last couple of months before the summer when, you know, it was very easy to ride long base metals and ride long energy at the same time. And now all of a sudden, you know, both trades have run into some, you know, some some consolidation and it's become difficult to decide what to do. And by meaning what to do, it's like you don't know whether you want to add to the position, get out of it entirely, cut it in half. Like things are really, really difficult right now for, you know, technical, tra tactical trading. So that's when I usually kind of pare the book down a little bit, which is what I did because I was organically going on vacation so I pared the book down and I have some cash to deploy. And the only thing that I've done since I've been back is bought financials, right? I haven't even touched anything in metals, although I think they can go like you. And, you know, the thing is, though, that's just that, that there seems to be a good argument on both sides of the coin right now. And the for metals 
And the only thing for me that keeps going up is that the luring me into buying more things in there is the stock market, you know, and so that that's kind of how I'm, I'm looking at it, you know, where I've got this capital that I've had invested in gold that is now cash on the sidelines, you know, waiting to be put into the markets and some cash that was in energy markets that I've taken off the table that's now waiting to go back in. But waiting to go back in might be waiting a little while now because I think it feels really difficult to decide what's going to happen next. I'm bullish the S&P, that much I know, but I can't tell whether it's going to be led by technology or metals or, or what, or, or healthcare, as you know, these Pfizer and Moderna and Lilly stocks start exploding to new all-time highs. Yeah. Just a really tough read right now for, for a 12-sector you know, trader. So what, what could be that moment of clarity for you? Is it something from the Fed, decision from the Fed? Is it some... A technical move in the charts? What might it be? You know, it'll, it'll be if sentiment gets excessive again, like it has. You know, I, I feel like it's easy. It's an easy run for the S&P now for 4,500 to 5K. So I feel like along there that sentiment is going to get really red line positive again. And that's within then you know you these, these these stocks that are breaking to new highs right now and exploding like like moderna like pfizer like goldman sachs like morgan stanley like so many names that have just gone vertical they're eventually going to get to their icarus print where they fly too close to the sun they'll gap open to a new all-time high on you know positive earnings and then all of a sudden There'll be all one-way traffic for weeks, right? And, and that'll be the end of that trade for a little while. So we're getting close to those levels. And if I see those, if I see those kinds of things line up in those stocks that have been leading alongside sentiment, getting really, really bullish and people celebrating the rally finally, you know, that'll, that'll convince me that maybe it's time for things to change a little bit. For the metals markets, I don't really know. You know, maybe if the charts line up to something really, really juicy. But, you know, for me, gold lines up as a juicy sale. Base metals line up as a neutral. And oil still lines up as a screaming buy. You know, and, and so, you know, it's balancing that within the commodity space. And, and also wanting to get into the ag space, knowing that food inflation is likely coming too. And I don't have enough exposure there. So... You know, it's it's kind of just surfing this stuff out and, and, and taking it one day at a time, really, right now. That, that, that's how it is with, with money to deploy and, and trying to figure out what's going to happen next. You did take a couple of weeks off. You did some traveling when you, and you, you had some downtime to kind of refresh and get your yeah. mind right. When you came back, you know, what, what type of epiphany or like, you know, light bulb went off when you got back? That's a great question, man. You know, uh, I, I will say it gave me it gave me confidence in my in my bullish equity view for sure. Right. Like it's like I'm like, OK, I'm going to turn the screens dark for literally, you know, almost two full weeks and leave some positions on and leave call levels in case something gets there with my interns. But otherwise, I'm not going to watch it, you know, coming back and just turning the screens on and seeing, wow, like, ah, everything held in there. Like, that's really cool. You know, like, that was my view. That's why I thought things would keep going. Where it's a, The trend should be sustainable, whether I'm watching price action tick for tick every morning or if I'm staring at the statue of David, right? The, the trends are in motion. 
So it was it was refreshing to see that. It it gave me another level. It gave me a level of confidence to be like, okay, the first the first edge trade that I get to jump into, I'm not going to hesitate because the world looks exactly as I thought it should look coming back. Right? Not not much has changed. You know, oils commodities are pushing the highs, stocks are pushing the highs. The one thing that I couldn't believe was that yields were as low as they were. And it feels like we just hit the turn in yields where they'll be heading up for a little while now. And so that was an easy way to grab financials right away. And so, you know, we're getting lockstep back in here. And so it felt good to see that what you thought would happen while you were not watching for 10 days, which for me is an eternity, is still panning out, right? The trends are in place. Yeah, very good. Uh, TG, Great to catch up with you once again. It has been far too long, but I know you've been busy. You had that nice long vacation. You're uh, you're gonna go give my regards to Susie Greenberg and Prince Caspian yeah. this weekend. So uh, appreciate oh. you. I really appreciate you coming on the show this week and, uh, and giving us your insight. And we'll catch up with you again here in the next few weeks. Absolutely, man. Friday morning, driving directly to Firenze. <laughs> All right, buddy. You uh, you have fun to stay safe. Lay off the bathtub, Jen. Right. On. Uh, <laughs> uh, to- that's Tony Greer. Uh, you can find his stuff. There's a, there's a great link on the website miningstockdaily.com to his morning navigator stuff. Uh, it's well worth the read. I read it four days a week, first thing in the morning, about when the markets right before the markets open. And it's a good read. Tony, take care, my friend. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. This is your host, Trevor Hall, in with a corporate update, a um, well overdue corporate update from Vista Gold. Happy to be sitting across the table here from with CEO, Mr. Fred Ernest. Uh, Vista Gold does trade on the NYSE American and the TSX with VGZ. They are developing the Mount Todd project in Australia. Fred, good to have you back on the show once again. Trevor. It's good to be back with you. Thank it, it, you. It's been way too long. It has been. <laughs> it has been. I, COVID, COVID messed up a lot of things. It but. did mess up a lot of things. Um, so let's get the general landscape here of Mount Todd. It is your flagship project, obviously. Uh, years of development work. Um, the bread and butter of the project, its uh, reserves, its resources – hasn't changed, but there's look looks like there's opportunities for expansion. Uh, you've got key permits. Um, so, but since it's been so long since we've had you on the podcast, tell us really where Mount Todd stands now in your eyes. Yeah, you know Mount Todd is in simple terms, it's Australia's largest undeveloped gold project with uh, resources of over 9 million ounces, proven and probable reserves of 5.85 million ounces. This is, this is a big project. It's located in the Northern Territory of Australia. Great jurisdiction. You know, since we spoke last, there's, there have been a lot of changes. Um, most importantly, I suppose, would be the approval of the mine management plan in June of this year. With that authorization, we now hold all of the major permits for the development of Mount Todd. 
Our EIS was approved in 2014. Our federal environmental authorization required under the the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act was approved in 2018. And now with the mine management plan, which is the equivalent of a mine operating permit, we have we have all of the major permits, and and uh, so we've uh, we've embarked on the uh, the down the path of finding a partner. Now, COVID has set us back. It's it's Australia has reacted by uh, not allowing people to enter the country, and so we've not been able to hold site visits. Uh, we're hopeful that maybe the first part of next year that 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 will be relaxed, but. I think that we're in the best position ever to bring in a, a serious partner, a senior producer, to help advance and develop Mount Todd. Now we've we started drilling uh, last last fall. Yeah, and uh, you know that that drilling was uh, originally focused on on uh, demonstrating the continuity of mineralization. For extending northward from the Batman deposit up to about five kilometers away to where the uh, the Quigley's deposit is, and and the early success in that clearly demonstrates to us that the, that the mineralization is continuous, and the focus of the drilling program has changed. It's now focused on on defining those areas where we can most efficiently add resources. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not going to add the resources. We, we think that that's rather an opportunity for a potential partner. But, uh, but we're, we're drilling. We'll, we'll continue to drill through the end of this year. Uh, all, all in, we'll probably drill something on the order of 10, 10 or 12,000 meters. But we're very encouraged by the results. Um, Additionally, you know, we uh, we announced earlier this year that we uh, started the engineering for to complete a feasibility study, and uh, we're particularly excited about that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, much of you know this, Trevor, that most of our engineering is already at feasibility study levels, but yeah. not all of it. And so, by completing this uh, this engineering, specifically the piping, electrical, and instrumentation designs, we'll now have a, a, a study that's all of the engineering will be at feasibility study standards. And that certainly ticks another box for a potential partner. Our last technical report was completed at a, at a point in time where the gold price was 1350 This morning as we talk, it's uh, about $1,750, and, and obviously a much better gold price than what we had three years ago. Our reserves are estimated at a gold price of $1,000. And so, with a better better spot gold price, we'll be changing the gold price. This is we expect will result in an increase in reserves for the project. So, Mount Todd is growing. The life of it's going to be longer. Uh, there's just a lot of a lot of exciting things happening yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it is a it, it's it's a it, it's a different project due to the approach that was kind of forced on you in the last year and a half, right? Because of COVID, I remember, you know back uh back last winter you know vista gold your strategy was really you were focused on finding a partner and obviously can you talk about how covid you you mentioned how covid set that back but when was the conversation with management and the board and said this isn't going to be probably going to be the time to do that we got to continue to push mount todd forward somehow 
knowing that finding some sort of partnership, whatever that looks like, is just going to be incredibly difficult in 2020? Well, you know, I, I think early, early this year. I mean, you know, I, we, we went through, we went through 2020, and you know, we started, we started the process. We started, you know, I, right when COVID broke. In fact, I was uh, set to go on a, a several week trip through through China and other parts of of Southeast Asia to talk with companies that we'd identified as as potential partners uh, in the Australasia region. And uh, I was in Australia when the news of the virus broke. And, uh, and I came home and we canceled weeks of, of travel plans. And we just started watching. And then all of, as, as we all are aware, we all got locked down in yeah. uh, April and May. And then we all thought, well, summer's coming and it's gonna get better. You know, we, we started <clears throat> the process. I mean, we, we started reaching out to companies. You know, we thought that this would be short-lived and uh, that this would pass. I think, like many people, I think we all had the expectation that COVID was something that, you know, if any of us, and nobody, nobody would have predicted that, you know, right. it would have been a year and a half. Right. So uh, really it was, uh, you know, early this year when, you know, we were, you know, still having discussions. We're still reaching out to people. We've still got people engaged in due diligence. But it was, uh, you know, early, early this year when we started looking at, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. We can either sit on the sidelines and do nothing, or we can take control of this and start to control our own destiny. Yeah. Uh, so is that kind of when you said, listen, maybe... Because the, the, the exploration work has always been on the table. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with the project. And for the last couple of years, you and I have had the conversation, like, you know, why not go drill, you know, up there by Quigley's? But you, you finally decided. But is that one of the things that you decided now is the time to do it because we can? Well, you know, we started that program last fall, um, a year ago, mm-hmm. essentially. We made that decision. And, and it was really, you know, it was, uh, again, you know, it was, it was an opportunity but we didn't have any clarity on timing, you know, but we, we felt that, you know, it was, it was, you know, we, we had, you know, we, I, I, and maybe, maybe it was prompted by some of the, the due diligence questions mm-hmm. that were arising. Like what? Yeah. Things like, you know, you've got the Batman deposit here to the South, you've got Quigley's, you've got all these other targets in between, you know, you talk about exploration potential quantify that for us what does that really look like you know and and uh well there's two ways to quantify it one is you wait until you have a deal and then your partner comes in and puts in the money or you make an investment on your own and you go out and you and you start to put your your money where your own mouth is so to speak and you start to demonstrate it in a way that potential partners are able to recognize that this isn't just arm waving on the part of the Vista geologists, but really, you know, with, you know, some pretty broad spacings and we're drilling anywhere between 200 and 400 meter fences or meters apart on fences, you know, the, but it's the, the continuity of it. We've not drilled a hole, Trevor, that hasn't hit mineralization where we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that speaks a lot about the understanding of the geology that our geologists have. Yeah, that they 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 I think we've got it nailed down where these structures are. And so, you know, it was really a matter of saying, well, you know, if you want a little bit of confirmation, 
you know, we're willing to make an investment to demonstrate that, you know, that we actually do understand this deposit. We do understand the, 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 the structures, and we think we have a good handle on, on where mineralization can be found and, and to back up why we say there's tremendous opportunity to increase the resource. So, so how far would you take the drilling and the exploration? Would you take it as far as doing a potential resource estimate up in Quigley's? You know, we're still drilling well south of, of Quigley's. Okay. Uh, we started at the Batman deposit, and we've stepped out now to north toward uh, where the Gulf and Tullis targets are. Okay. And that's only about 1.8 kilometers, and Quigley's is 5.4 kilometers away. So there's still a tremendous amount of real estate to cover. Sure. And, and uh, you know, we're not, it's not our intent to develop resources. You know, that's going to take an investment of, you know, maybe 10 or $15 million of intensive drilling. What we're trying to do is identify the areas where that 10 or $15 million should be spent where there's the greatest potential to add resource. And, and while, you know, we've intersected mineralization in every hole, you know, what we're really looking for, this, this district is known for the zones where the mineralization thickens, blows out. The last hole that we announced in July, uh, hole 11, exactly that. 399-meter hole, 200 meters of it with mineralization, four zones, uh, 9 to 18 meters in thickness that had multiple multiple gram per ton intercepts, you know, which is very exciting. That's exactly what we're looking for in this program because that's where we can add ounces in one place and focus our drilling instead of, you know, yeah. spreading it out all over. Is, is the geology you're seeing through this drilling campaign almost identical or very similar to what you were getting within the reserves that would fit into that, uh, the, the, uh, into the mill, no changes, wouldn't be any issues? You know, the, the mineralization, and I guess that's the advantage of having started at the Batman pit and progressing northward, right. is we're following the same mineralized zones, the same structures that are the host for the Batman deposit. It's the same sheeted vein style of mineralization. The host rock is the, is the silicified sedimentary package of siltstone shales and gray wackies. Um, you know, as we go to the north, we're getting a little bit closer to the, this incline, and, and, and the, the orientation of the limb is changing a little bit. And so uh, our, our drilling started out oriented to the, to the, the east, you know, now it's changing oriented to the west as we think this thing has gone vertical and then rolled over the other way. But that's the, uh, you know, that's not surprising to our geologists. I mean, it's, but it, but it is. I, I believe the mineralization is very consistent with what we see in the Batman deposit and would not cause any significant variations in the way we would operate the mill if we were to feed it with that material. So like, where, where does the drilling campaign that's been planned, where does this stand now? What's been done? How much is planned? What is left of this campaign? And what are you, what are you and the team looking to do from here? You know, Trevor, you, you've known us for a long time. We're, uh, we play things pretty, uh, pretty cautiously with exploration. You know, we don't just mm -hmm. give the geologists a huge budget and, go, and say, go drill wherever you want to. They know that in order to get the next tranche of drill funding that they've got to have results. And so, uh, you know, to date, we've, uh, we've spent about $2.2 million, uh, pretty close to that. 
we're contemplating, uh, you know, another $1.5 million in, in, uh, in drilling. And so, uh, you know, the, the program continues to step out. I think most interestingly, you know, as we've, as we've moved to the north, the, you know, digressing for a moment, the mm-hmm. heat engine for the deposit is, is the intrusive that, that forms the Yinberry Hills, is the Yinberry Granite. That was the heat engine that drove all the thermal activity that created the Mount Todd de- de- deposit, the Batman deposit, and the others. And uh, we know where that contact is in the area of the Batman deposit. As we've stepped to the north, we know that that, that contact is moving around a little bit. And uh, recently, we uh, we just barely finished drilling a, a deep hole that uh, the Northern Territory government co-funded mm. to to drill, and and it ended up we drilled 900 meters, and that's probably the deepest hole we've drilled at Mount Todd, drilling to intersect from drilling back to the west and and drilling from the east side of uh, the the Gulf Tullus deposits drilling underneath Gulf Tullus, drilling through the mineralized structures that we've been drilling as we step to the north, and then pushing this thing at depth and, and drilling down to, uh, to encounter the, uh, the, uh, the contact. What we've seen in other holes is that we see an enrichment zone right above the, uh, right above the, the contact. And, and while right now, I mean, that's down the hole a long yeah, ways, yeah. Uh, and we don't have assays yet and probably won't have for another two or three weeks. We're very excited by the style of mineralization that we saw. And, and the interesting thing was that uh, most of the veining was almost exactly perpendicular to the, the core orientation, hmm. you know, which gives us a really great idea of what the vein spacing is mm-hmm. and, and, and what it's like. So uh, very encouraged by, by what we're seeing. And, and we're going to continue to step out to the north. You know, we're, we're, we're just uh, we're taking 200, 250, 400 meter steps to just kind of create sections where, you know, a potential partner can look at it and say, yeah, we can connect the dots. Yeah. We see what's going on here. And if we were to, you know, invest in a program, this is probably where we'd start. This yeah. is where we'd focus. Uh, you, you did mention that, you know, Vista is typically, they're pretty tight with the cash. And I think, you know, earlier this summer when I saw the, the bot deal financing, I, that actually surprised me quite a bit because I didn't see that coming. I didn't think you would do that. But obviously you're in the business that takes cash to generate a project. And so, you know, I, I, guess, it, I guess it was time. Um, you raised $13.5 million. Uh, can you tell us about that financing? You know, where did lead orders come from? You know, whatever you can share and what's that cash is being used for on top of obviously the exploration work, but also getting this feasible, full feasibility study up and going. Yeah. You know, we finished the second quarter with about $6.3 million in cash. You know, we've been, I think, I think we've done a great job over the last five years of funding our activities with no dilution to our shareholders. I mean, when, when, we, look at, when we look at our peers and the number of financings they've completed and, and what's happened to their share count, you know, our dilution by comparison, you know, we've raised a little bit of money using the uh, at-the-market uh, financing uh, mechanism that we have in place. But really, I, I mean, 2 million shares. I think that's about what we issued. But we've monetized non-core assets. And we've still got a couple of things that are in the works. But, uh, you know, we've, we've done, I think, a great job over the last number of years 
of funding our activities and advancing the project without having to go to the market. Uh, one of our large shareholders says, he says, I don't know how you do it. You just keep pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Well, you know, it gets to a point where there's no more rabbits in the hat, right. Trevor. And, right. and, you, and you have to go to the market. And, you know, the last time we raised money prior to this summer was August of 2016. So, I mean, we went almost five years without going to the market to raise money in a business where we consume cash. Right. I mean, we don't, we're not yet to the point of generating cash flow. And so it, it, it becomes necessary to, to go to the market. Now, with $6.3 million, some would say, well, gee, you know, you, you had money to get you through the end of the year. Well, honestly, you know, without, without the, the work that we wanted to do to commence the feasibility study, you know, that would have been a year's worth of cash. But, you know, again, it comes back to the statement that I made earlier. You know, do we sit on our hands and do we wait for whatever the market forces are to change our fate? Or do we take control of the situation ourselves? And and we we came to the conclusion that, you know, there are things that we can do to add value. And that's what we've always been about, is, is about adding value. And so with the, uh, the mine management plan finally approved in June and with a favorable uptick in our share price as a result of that, you know, we, we saw a very favorable response to, to that news. You know, we made the decision to raise the money. And, and you know, there might be some who would argue that the first week of July isn't the best time to raise money. <laughs> I don't know that the first week of August. <laughs> well, absolutely. We, we would all agree with that. Well, hindsight is a wonderful right. thing, right? Raising, raising money when we did, uh, you know, I mean, in another month or two, people might look at it and say, gee, you know, Vista really pulled the trigger just the optimal time. They got it done just when they could. The bottom line is, you know, that, that sometimes you have to do deals and, and uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best terms. It wasn't, it wasn't on the terms that we exactly wanted. Sure. But the market, the market dictates what kind of terms you're going to get yeah. with, with the financing. And, and uh, you know, the, the warrant pricing, we, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think we were exactly happy with it, but it's what was required to get the deal done. You know, what I, what I can say about, you know, participants is that uh, some of our largest shareholders participated in the, in the, the offering. And, uh, and the financing itself, the uh, 81% of the financing is, went into the hands of 13 funds. Did, did, did you participate? Uh, I did not, but other members of the, the management team did. Uh, I, uh, I own about uh, 1.5% of the shares of the company as, mm-hmm. it, as it is. So, uh, but uh, we, uh, you know, there was uh, one particular uh, fund who took um, about 40% of the deal. Mm-hmm. They're now a, a 5% shareholder. Uh, they've not filed the, the filings that would allow us to publicly disclose who they are, but uh, We've had several conversations with them subsequent to the the financing, and uh, or, or, or one before and one after, I guess would be a, a better way to put it. And uh, you know, they indicate to us that uh, you know they understand the the, the value uh, yeah. opportunity that that we have here, and and they're in this for the longer term. So, so with, uh, with, with I, I, I guesstimating twenty million dollars in the bank after this, you know, the six plus the thirteen and a half. Um, Budget-wise, where does that? How how long does that extend Vista Gold? One year, two years? 
You know, for clarity, we, we in our press release indicated that on a pro forma basis, we, you know, after after expenses from the financing uh, net, you know, that uh, we had about 18.8 million in cash. Okay. But, uh, you know, with the, with the, the feasibility study and, and because of the immense amount of work that's already been done to get engineering to feasibility study standards, we're looking at completing the feasibility study for about $3.3 million. Okay. Another $1.5 million in drilling. Um, you know, we're, we're in a position where we've got over two years of cash okay. with this financing completed. Okay. Good. Obviously a good place to be. I mean, I think... Any, any junior explorer would love to have $6 million in the bank, but you're far past a junior explorer. You're, you're more development grade. So yeah. obviously you have more, uh, more costs. I mean, kind of given the, the, this experience of the last year and having to go back to raise money, when you're sitting at $6 million, you know, you kind of have to sit back and really give consideration, go back to the market. And we speak about hindsight. In hindsight, is there opportunity for you as the, you know, the head honcho of this company to figure out places where, you know, things can get tightened up, you know, where you can save some cash here or there uh, to maybe extend that two years to maybe two and a half or three years? You know, we're, we're continually evaluating our expenditures, Trevor. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just in our DNA. I mean, we've never been free and easy with our expenditures. Uh, you know, they're, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's happened that we that we haven't talked about is, uh, you know, uh, this past uh, wet season, we uh, we finished a significant uh, achievement with regards to dewatering the site. Oh wow! Um, we've uh, pumped almost all of the water out of the the Batman pit. Really? Oh wow! Uh, yeah. You know, I, three years ago we had um, eight million cubic meters of water today there's less than a half a million cubic meters uh so with that you know one of the things that we're in the process of doing is eliminating our waste discharge license our waste discharge license has some annual monitoring requirements that are that are part of it and so since we're not going to be discharging water now we can just work on getting that last little bit of water out and we'll just put it in the tailings storage facility and let it evaporate but with without those major discharges, I mean, this past wet season, we discharged uh, 2.6 million cubic meters of, of clean treated water. Uh, so we're not going to be in the water discharge business uh, anymore for uh, for the near near term. So, you know, g- getting rid of that that discharge license that allowed us to discharge that clean treated water uh, has some cost savings to it. So that's just an example of things yeah. that you know we're we're continually looking for things. Uh, COVID has meant that we have less travel. I mean, zero travel, really. Right. You know, so, um, but we expect that that's going to, that's going to change, you know, conferences, uh, you know, the, the precious metals conference and the Denver mm-hmm. gold uh, group meetings. Yeah. They're going to be in person this year. We're excited about those are hometown conferences for us, really yeah. Beaver Creek and Colorado Springs. So. Yeah. One of the few, few opportunities to travel and we don't have to go very far, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of want to revisit this uh, partnership idea and, and um, you know, for years you have always told me and other people, like, it is not in Vista Gold's interest to go about this on our own. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just not. It's too dilutive. It's too expensive for a smaller company like us to do it. So we need to go find a partner. Um, I, you know, I, 
watching kind of relations with international relations with not only the U.S. and China, but also Australia and China, uh, it seems more difficult for a Chinese company to go into Australia or go into North America and try to take projects because it doesn't seem like they're having a much harder time to be approved. In fact, they're actually just getting shut down by governments. Does that take a big producer like China off the table when you need to go find a partner? Does that narrow the scope at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, Sino-Australia uh, relations are at the lowest point they've ever been, perhaps since World War II. And, uh, you know, the there's some very strong feelings about who's responsible for the the COVID-19 outbreak among Australian uh, political leaders. And, and that's certainly manifest in what kind of economic relations are, are taking place. Uh, at this point in time, we would say that having a, uh, a, a Chinese partner for the development of Mount Todd is not practical or possible at this point in time. So it, so it does reduce the playing field. Um, the restrictions on travel have uh, and people not being able to get in and out of the country have had certain restricting effects as well. That you know that those who either don't have Australian operations or don't have relations with a group in Australia that they have a high degree of trust in have been a little less likely to be interested than they might have been had they been able to travel. Mm-hmm. and see it with their own eyes. So it, it, it's, it's a different world, and certainly there, there are factors that are having an impact on the size of the universe of potential partners. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're restricted to you know, just Australian companies. I'd, I'd hate to portray that image because, quite honestly, there are a number of, of companies that are headquartered outside of Australia that, that – are, are in, are, have shown interest. Okay. Um, my last question for you, and this is more of a philosophical, holistic question for you, Fred, but, I mean, given all the challenges um, with the last year and a half, what is something you, as a CEO of a company with Vista Gold, have, what have you learned that's been completely new for you to have to take care of and get through knowing that this this isn't your first rodeo uh i don't know if it'll be your last but uh you've never had to like get through something like this what have you learned about it you know that's an interesting question trevor i don't know if you know this about me but uh when i was in high school one one a part-time job i had was working at a as a dj Right. At a at a sm- <laughs> at a small uh, small town uh, AM radio station in Western Colorado, <laughs> daylight hours only only uh, station, and I used to go in after school and then run the station from uh, when I got out of school in the afternoon until sign off, and that time varied because you know the yeah. daylight hours. You know that experience was an interesting experience, and I never thought about how that has helped prepare me for my career as, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as the CEO of a mining company. But uh, certainly with, you know, not being able to travel, 
we've made some very big strides and some big changes. And, and certainly, Trevor, you were a big part of that. You, uh, you, know, you worked very closely with us uh, mm-hmm. in the early years of starting to become more active in the social media space. And, uh, you know, I, uh, two years ago, if you'd asked me if I'd felt comfortable just sitting down and setting up some equipment and, and doing a, a, a video uh, to talk about the operation, I just said, why would I want to do that? You know, I can just get on a plane and go wherever I want to and talk to right. people face to face. And, you know, here we are today and we've all kind of become, you know, television reporters. Vers- we, had, we found versatility. You know, we had to be agile. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's been kind of fun. At first, it was it was kind of intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember my first attempts. You know, taking twenty or thirty different takes <laughs> to, to to do a minute and a half video. You know, right. it still takes a couple of attempts. You know, but I, I'm down to you know maybe maybe six or seven. Yeah. You know, and, and and I think that's just fascinating that we've all become more comfortable in a different space. Yeah. Than where we're at, you know. Certainly, um, I look at the last couple of years, and if this had, had if this had the COVID pandemic had happened even five years ago, I think that it would have been extremely challenging. We would have been trying to do things over, you know, voice conferencing. Yeah. The technology of being able to use Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever the platform is and be able to see people, engage their reactions, has been tremendous. I, I mean, you know, one of the things that we've accomplished in the last 24 months is, is we, we concluded negotiations with the Jowan Aboriginal people to, to update and modernize the agreement that we have with them entirely by means of video conference calls. And, and I, I'm... I'm, I'm an advocate that these aren't the most efficient way to do business, but it's right. just amazing that we have the technology that we do today, and, and we've all had to adapt. Right, right. Well, I'm sure you're still itching at the opportunity to get back to Darwin and get back to site. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do, on a personal note, I do want to say, you know, Vista Gold, when I was first starting out in this business, before the podcast was even an idea, uh, I walked into this office and pitched you some ideas and you were so kind and gracious and gave me the opportunity that really was one of the foundations for where I am now. So like I will, you know, Vista Gold and Mount Todd do hold a special place in my heart because you kind of saw what I was trying to do and, and support it. So just from a personal note, thank you so much for giving me that opportunity and helping me build wherever it is we're going here. Well, and and likewise, Trevor. Thanks for thanks for sharing your experience and 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 vision with us. I mean, we are we're innovative. I, I'd like to think that Vista Gold is a company that's continually looking for a better way to do the business that we do, and and we're willing to 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 take a look at and try things and step back and evaluate. And I think that's really that's the crux of what's been the key to our success at Mount Todd. We have taken Mount Todd from a project that failed in the 1990s with, a, with only a very modest gold recovery and some pretty high operating costs to a project today that's one of, the, if constructed as design, will be one of the lowest quartile cost producers in the, in the world with, a, with now a gold recovery that's almost 92% 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very respectable gold recovery in our business. And, and we've done it because we, we've been willing to embrace technology, to test it, to try it, to, to reconfirm our results, to step back and evaluate are we using it correctly, and, and to continue to press forward. And uh, anyway, the, yeah. the use of technology on whether it's communications or communication technology or whatever <laughs> it is, we're, we're willing to take a look. And so, I mean, you walking in the door that day was just a, you know, just another opportunity. We're, we're not closed-minded. I'd like to think that with, when people look at Vista and they look at an investment, that they realize that, you've, that they're, they're putting uh, an investment in a management team who's continually looking for ways that we can do things better and smarter and more efficiently than anybody else out there, given the, given the cards that have been dealt to us. And we can't change the ore body, but to get to where we're at today with Mount Todd, you know, with a large, low-cost gold project in a great jurisdiction, now with a great, great uh, recovery, with all of the permits uh, approved, uh, you know, I, I think that we've come a long ways. And certainly there's a lot of determination on this team to see this project through and and the same determination is being applied to to getting a partner fred it's great to catch up with you once again have you on the pod it's good to see you um and i hope we can catch up again here uh maybe later this winter uh and and see how everything's going with mount todd and vista gold I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, you are welcome. That's Fred Ernest with Vista Gold. They trade on the NYSE American and on the TSX with the symbol VGZ. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.